Well, good morning and happy Sabbath. I'm glad that you could join us for our uh, Saturday morning live stream. As Jinha mentioned, uh, this last weekend, our family went down to Phillip Island um, as the restrictions recently eased, and um, it was it was kind of interesting seeing the different reactions from from our family members as soon as we pulled into the Airbnb and started uh, unloading our 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 wagon. Joshua hopped out of the car and ran up and down the street screaming freedom and it just it dawned on me how much the the lockdown had affected this poor little kid and um anyway just going to Phillip Island going to the ocean was just such a it was such a freeing it, there was such a freeing feeling uh, being able to just travel outside of uh, our our normal allotted allotted um i guess travel distance um but yeah, it was such an incredibly freeing experience going to the ocean for the first time in eons and just seeing the vast openness of the world. And I highly recommend going to the ocean and just spending a moment there. It, it, it'll do, um, it'll increase your, your, your vitality and your happiness level by a significant amount. So I, I hope that you're able to enjoy the, the freedom that's given to us. Um, and some other news. This week, uh, David helped me move our church from 500 Collins Street to North Fitzroy uh, Church. And um, I, I took a few pictures of what 500 Collins Street looked like um, the, the last day that uh, I was going to step foot uh, on, on Level 10. And um, I just thought I would share the pictures with you so that we can kind of um, say farewell to 500 Collins Street together. Uh, let's see here if I can get this right. There we go. Um, as you can see, uh, just from the entryway of, of Level 10 of 500 Collins Street, the building looks, or the property looks so different from, from what we're used to uh, because they also, the, the company has to make good on their lease, and so they're clearing everything out. Um, and you can see the, the deconstruction of, of, of um, the place that we used to call church. Um, let's see here. And uh, that's where we used to store all of our equipment. And as you can see, all of our stuff is no longer there. And uh, you can see um, the, the, the company has started packing all their stuff and um, either selling it or relocating it. Um, and then, of course, you can see on the right uh, the, the packing that David and I were, were doing. Um, Sharon saw these pictures and commented of how uh, we, we had become Tetris champions. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt a bit like that. Um, you know, I can't tell you the uh, the last few moments of just kind of walking through um, 500 Collins Street was a bit emotional because it, it reminded me of the last seven and a half years that we've kind of been journeying um, together as a church. And it was, it's just been, it was incredible to be reminded of how God had led in the past. And um, yeah, just a spent a little quiet moment just kind of giving a prayer of thanks and thanking God for, for all that he had done. And um, as we moved into North Fitzroy Church, it was also very encouraging to see um, the future and, and where God is continuing to lead our church and, and where we might be in, in the next uh, six or seven years. Um, I wanted to first thank uh, North Fitzroy Church for allowing us to uh, use their use their property, to use their church. Um, 
And I also wanted to say thank you to David for offering um, his time uh, midweek to help help us move all of our stuff. Uh, David's act of service and hospitality is a great segue into uh, this morning's sermon. Um, and, and we're going to be starting a series entitled uh, Loving Your Neighbor. Um, and, and today we're going to be talking about hospitality and service. David Bosch, uh, a well-known missiologist, writes, Countless church councils down through the centuries have met to discuss the correct formulations of Orthodox faith. Yet never has a council been convened to discuss the implications of Orthodox love. And so we'll be spending a couple sermons um, discussing the implications of Orthodox love. And so today we're going to be talking about hospitality and how it can become a vehicle for how we show love to God and love to others. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. If you have them, you can follow along. And for those of you who don't have uh, the text in front of you, I've got uh, significant portions of the text in front uh, on the screen. So in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 28, a lawyer asks Jesus, what must be done to be saved? And here, Jesus responds to him in verse uh, verse uh, 26. Uh, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. There's a lot going on in this exchange. Without spending too much time um, exploring the theological nuances of this conversation, I want to simply point out that Jesus here does not endorse obedience to the law as a means of being saved. Jesus sees the lawyer's interpretation of the law as closely aligned with his own, um, and as the dialogue continues, we'll see what Jesus means is slightly different from what the lawyer says. This interpretation of the law is repeated in Mark chapter 12 in a different conversation. In verse 28, um, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. In the next two verses, in verses 32 and 33, the teacher of the law agrees with Jesus and essentially repeats what Jesus has said. And in verse 34, Jesus replies to the man, when he saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And I want to highlight just that one line where Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Notice he doesn't say, you are you have arrived at the kingdom of God. He says, you're almost there. And uh, I just wanted to highlight this to show that Jesus doesn't point to obedience of the law as a means of being saved. 
Now, in Mark's account, loving God and loving your neighbor are two separate commandments. But in Luke 10, when the expert of the law combines the two commands, Jesus affirms the lawyer's understanding of the law. The whole purpose of scripture, uh, the whole purpose of rules and regulations designed by God are to get us to learn of God's love, to love him, and to love humanity. There's a challenge in connecting love to God and love to one another. Sometimes loving God makes it difficult to love our neighbors, at least the way they want to be loved. Uh, For example, as Adventists, we promote a healthy lifestyle. Um, This means that there are certain things that we believe are healthy for you and things that are unhealthy for you, depending on what you eat and what you drink. And this can be a challenge to adopt in certain uh, settings. And so then our faithfulness to God sometimes gets in the way of building relationships with others, especially when they expect us to participate with them. Then there are other times when our love for our neighbors can get in the way of loving God. Uh, If a friend says, hey, let's spend time together and go uh, shopping or some other secular activity on Sabbath, prioritizing our neighbor makes it impossible to love God the way that he wants to be loved, especially in light of John chapter uh, 14, verse 15, where he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So then, It's very challenging that Jesus combines these two ideas in which, uh, which in theory don't go together. However, in practice, you cannot separate the two. The Bible is littered with paradoxical pairs that cannot be separated. For example, justice and mercy, or judgment and salvation, or truth and love. The moment you separate any of these paradoxical pairs, neither the truths that are presented are possible. See, if all we do is honor and worship God, disregarding the feelings or needs of our neighbors, the perception of our love to God doesn't seem loving at all. Um, The Crusades of old are an extreme example of this. In my adolescent years, uh, there would be moments when I would arrive at church late. Uh, On one occasion, I arrived late, uh, much to the disapproval of the greeter, and he scolded me for my tardiness. Um, For the greeter, worship was sacred time, and a part of honoring God was arriving to church on time to worship God. Uh, But for me, I was so turned off by the rude greeting that I did a 180 and exited the building. The greeter's love for God was a turnoff for me. See, prioritizing love for our neighbors and disregarding our love for God also creates challenges. Uh, Our acknowledgement of God gives definition and direction for how we should love. Uh, Honoring God is a way of showing to the world that he knows something about love that we do not know. Uh, Also, if eternity, at least the way that the Bible portrays it, is real, then this point is all the more true. Uh, What good is loving those around us for a mere lifetime when eternity is promised? Uh, A disregard for informing those we love about God's love is transient, and love by definition is never-ending. So Jesus, in the remainder of Luke 10, explores the implications of this paradoxical pairing in two stories. From verses 30 to 37, we have the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, 
And from verses 38 to 42, we have the story of Mary and Martha interacting with Jesus. This week, we'll be looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let's look at the parable together. In Luke chapter 10, verses 30 to 37, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levi, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And what we're going to see here is hospitality kind of pour out from the Samaritan to the wounded man. We pick up in verse 34. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The journey between Jerusalem and Jericho was known as a treacherous journey. Um, Jerusalem, if you look at this map, Jerusalem is 762 meters above sea level, uh, sea level, while Jericho is 244 meters below sea level in the Jordan Rift Valley. As you can see, it's about a 27-kilometer journey between the two cities. Uh, the windy road that went through the desert was lined with caves which thieves were known to hide in. Now, we don't know why uh, the priest and Levite didn't stop by. Maybe they were tired from all the work and ministry they had done uh, in Jerusalem, or maybe they didn't want to end up like the man who was mugged. Uh, regardless, both priest and Levite abandoned the dying man. Joel Green observes this cadence or a rhythm that occurs uh, when both priest and Levite see the dying man on the road. The cadence for the priest and the Levite goes like this. They came, they saw, they passed by on the other side. When the Samaritan arrives on the scene, the cadence changes. He came, he saw, was moved with compassion, went to the wounded man, and cared for him. It's worth mentioning that the Jews and Samaritans did not get along. The Samaritans were not pure-blooded Hebrews, and they had different religious practices. For this reason, the Jews discriminated against the Samaritans. They looked at external and arbitrary factors that make people who they are. The Jews felt like they were special elite people um, that were valued by God and ultimately would be saved. But when Jesus tells this story, he flips this thinking upside down and makes the Samaritan the hero. Jesus taught that what distinguished the Samaritan from the priest and Levite 
was not that the two had pure religion and he did not, or that they were Jews and he was not. What distinguishes the Samaritan is that he had compassion and did something for the man in need when they did not. Remember, the intro to this story starts with the question, what must I do to be saved? How do I know that I'm valuable in the sight of God? Jesus highlights that the Samaritan is special because he participates in the compassion in, in the compassion and covenantal faithfulness of God, who sees and responds with salvation care. See, true nature of the upside-down order of grace is apparent in this story. The more we empty out our love to God, the more we are filled by it. And the Samaritan gets what's on God's heart. We're living in a time when there are polarizing views around politics, race, gender, identity, and vaccinations, just to name a few. It's so easy to look down on those who are different from ourselves, and it becomes increasingly difficult to show compassion to those who don't take our positions, and for good reason. The topics that we argue over have to deal with our lives, our well-being, our freedoms, our health, and our safety. The question is, how do we interact with each other as things get more and more challenging and more and more polarizing? There's an attitude of hospitality, a willingness to show compassion and care for those who are different from ourselves that this story encourages us to cultivate. Jesus says in Luke 10, verse 27, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you will live. The professor of mission, uh, excuse me, professor of mission and evangelism, Mortimer Arias, says that the remarkable explosion of Christianity in the first century was due not only to proclamation of the gospel, but also to the extraordinary quality of Christian hospitality. It evidently so impressed one Roman emperor that he commanded his provincial uh, provincial governors to begin practicing hospitality like that of the Christians if they wanted their empire to grow and remain civil. The quality of mutual respect and love in those early Christian communities must have created hospitable space for very different kinds of people to enter and find a spiritual home. Arius calls that attractive character of early Christianity centripetal mission. It may seem like those who are against you are ruining your life. But if you practice, if we as a community can practice this attitude of hospitality and compassion, Jesus claims that there's a deeper quality of life that is to be discovered. I invite you to experiment with God, to prayerfully put him to the test. Ask him, God, who is my neighbor, and how do you want me to love them? As you live out the greatest commandments, I encourage you to explore a deeper quality of life. May God richly bless you and be present in your life as you practice this in your life. Will you join me for prayer as we close? Father God, as we consider this challenging climate that we find ourselves in. Uh, 
I ask that you would teach us to live out these principles and these truths, that you would give us wisdom to live out these principles and these truths, to understand them, to explore them, to wrestle with them. Um, and I pray that as a result, our church can become a community of inclusion and diversity where people feel connected even if they don't believe in the same things. And Father, as we continue to navigate this uh, challenging pandemic, we pray that you would give the leaders wisdom as to how to make policies that that are in the best interest of, of, of the community. Father, so many people have gone through so many difficult things during this time, and I just want to ask that you would... Um, draw near to these individuals who've especially gone through difficulty, people who have lost loved ones, people who are uh, people who are raising new families, people who are lonely, people who are um, who feel isolated. Uh, I just want to pray that your spirit would minister to these people and that you would use our church to minister um, in, a, in a way that shows that you are indeed love and that we understand um, we understand you, we know you and we understand what that means. So we pray these things in your name. Amen.